You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. This season of the Crummer Hour is dedicated to examining service as we meet with Rollins and Crummer alumni who are serving the Crummer community as well as the community at large. Today's guest is Maihan Harrington, Director of Administration at Kobe Japanese Steakhouse and immediate past president of the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. And I'm here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, Rachel Valuki, Area Manager 2 at Amazon MBA 2020, and as always, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Clara. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. <laughs> in a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with Maihan Harrington that was broadcast this past November. But before we do that, I want to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts on what the audience should listen for. Uh, so, Kyle, uh, you're on first. What should the listeners check out in that interview? Yeah. Uh, well, personally, I really related to Maihan's story. I think a lot of people can too. But but speaking as someone who has also worked various jobs before their MBA, I really appreciated uh, her honesty and candor about her career tra- trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. And I think her story can provide a lot of inspiration to students who may not have it all figured out yet. Absolutely. Uh, how about you, Rachel? Family businesses are, they're just fascinating. So definitely listen to the story of how Japanese Steakhouse got started. Definitely surprising and interesting. Listen for the number of times the word meaningful is used in connection to the word service. Definitely an insight into what she's all about. Love that. Very insightful. Um, And for my own part, I really... I really enjoyed my Han's story about learning to be comfortable with uncertainty and still being able to recognize that it's going to be okay. Um, and it reminds me of some things I've been working on in my personal life about trying to be comfortable with that uncertainty. Um, and, and I thought that that was just so inspirational to be able to hear that from somebody else who's kind of figured out where they belong. <laughs> yeah. So, so first, uh, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. Like I said, the first segment of Crummer Connections is called Service is Personal, and it lets us understand our guests' personal motivations for leading and serving. And the next thing you hear will be host J.B. Adams welcoming our guest. So let's get started. My Hun Harrington, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. All right, Maihan, you currently serve as immediate past president of the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. And I would like to start by asking you about your philosophy of service. Why is service a big deal? What's your philosophy when it comes to serving others and serving the community? So I believe um, service has a lot to do with creating meaningful relationships and ultimately a meaningful life. Um, I think everybody has the capacity to give, whether that's their time, their effort, their resources. And when you make that conscious choice to give that to a organization, an individual, a cause that you feel strongly towards, it really opens up that opportunity to make those meaningful connections with not only the other person on the receiving end, but 
those that are serving beside you. And that's, that's always a good thing. I think um, life's about meaningful relationships and finding ways to serve and finding more ways that, uh, in which you can serve is always a good thing. Did you always have this philosophy or did you arrive upon it later in your life or career? You know, I, I would have to say I always loved, I, I'm, a, I'm a social person, so I always wanted to find ways to meet new people. I always wanted to get involved with organizations, understand ways in which I can do more things, you know, whether that was in sports, whether that was in my community, organizations at school. So I always had that desire to uh, connect. So are you saying that service is a social thing for you? It, it is partly social in that early on in my life, um, it was, hey, you know, on the weekends, my friends, we, we would get together and serve at Habitat um, of Humanity or finding different ways to um, get together with other people. And then from there, you you connect with other people um, at the organization and your circle just uh, becomes bigger. And I, I just love that dynamic. I love that ability to get together with people and uh, make a positive impact with whatever it is that you're doing. If there are skeptics out there, and I don't know if there are, but there are some who are questioning the motivation for service. Sure. So I want you, like sell it to us, build the case for us. I would say, sure, there's a lot that you can gain from it. Uh, but I, I think nowadays, especially in our world right now, it's, it's a lot of what, what's in it for me? Um, what can I do for myself? And it's a lot of taking. Yeah. Um, and I think when you think the reverse, think a little bit more selfless. What can you do for others? What can you give? What, what do you have? And it doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be money all the time. It doesn't, but your time, your resources, your friendship, your anything, it just makes for a better, better relationship with people. You're just, you're just promoting good. And I think having a balance of understanding what you have and giving back is a good way to uh, kind of, um, yeah, be grateful for what you have. All right. Excellent. You gave us many reasons for getting involved in providing service. Does, does getting involved in service make you a better business person? Absolutely. We have this saying at Koe, um, we're not in the restaurant business, we're in the people business. And a uh, big part of that is, of course, we're in the hospitality business. But every day, you know, what we do at work, you're interacting with employees, you know, you're, you're trying to create a positive work environment, a productive career for them. You're obviously working with your customers because that is who you ultimately serve. And then also everybody else in between. So that is your colleagues at work. That is your other business partners, vendors that you work with. We work with so many different people and that's day to day. You know, work takes up so much of your time. So when you serve, when I think about service outside of work, you know, you expand your circle, you, you see other perspectives, but also you practice kind of that service muscle and service is at every level and with every person. And that's really the root of it. I, I think service, it really comes down to those relationships. And as the more I learn to serve others in different capacities, the better business person I am. 
And I would say that that is what makes it truly a family business. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to come back to that in a moment. My hun, this segment is uh, about your backstory and it gives us a chance to get to know you and understand your early business influences. So we're going to start with just some short answers. Um, tell us where you were born and raised. Born in Altamont Springs, Florida. So you are all local. All local. Very much. Okay. Is there a generation that you identify with? I'm a millennial. Oh. <laughs> okay. And what were your parents' occupations? So my father studied uh, when he was in college. He was a computer science and a accountant. And my mom was an electrical engineer. But of course, they, they left that to eventually start our family business with my grandfather, Kobe Japanese Steakhouse. Okay, so let's dig back even a little bit deeper. And I know that this is not necessarily your story to tell, but I find family businesses fascinating. So the story of the Kobe Japanese Steakhouse starts, does it start before you were born? Yes, it starts way before I was born. Well, actually, no, I wouldn't say way before I was born. <laughs> Not that old. Uh, or I'm not that young. <laughs> but uh, so my grandfather started it. I mean, I don't know how far we want to go back. But uh, when my parents immigrated here in the 1969, right before the fall of Saigon, and their parents had them go through education. So my mom, they're like, become an engineer. She became an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. um, my dad studied, uh, like I said, computer science and um, and became a CPA and worked for a big telecommunication company at the time. So at the time, my grandfather, um, Kobe Japanese had the first one, actually, I don't think most people know, actually started in Montreal, Canada, hmm. early 1980s. So probably 1982, I think, is when they started uh, the very first one. It was a small, little teppanyaki place. It was actually a, a restaurant inside a motel. Ah at the time. And it was uh, very small, uh, very quaint. But when he first came here, they, they, my grandmother and my grandfather purchased this motel in the restaurant. And a little backstory about my grandfather. He, he's, again, entrepreneur in Vietnam, had many businesses. He was in banking. He had hotels. He um, was in a textile business. So he had a lot of different businesses. So coming to Montreal, he continued to pursue um, different types of businesses and he landed on a motel and a, a restaurant. But he was, sick of, he was sick of the winters and decided after a trip to Orlando that he was going to move to Orlando and take along Kobe with him. He wanted to open up our first Kobe Japanese steakhouse here in Orlando. And so um, my dad, kind of being sick of the whole corporate job, um, pursued his, his aspirations to get away from that and, and have his own business. Went with my grandfather to um, Orlando to open up the first Kobe Japanese Steakhouse here in the U.S. in Altamont Springs in the office that I'm in right now um, in 1984. All right. So I just have to ask because this is what everyone is thinking. So I'm just going to give voice to it. Uh, <laughs> Vietnamese heritage, Japanese Steakhouse. Mm -hmm. How did this decision come about? Yeah. So if I could describe my, my grandfather, he big personality, you know, he, I mean, entrepreneur, always looking for the next thing to do, big laugh, love to have a good time. And um, 
So when he was thinking about a business, you know, um, he wasn't going to go with something like, um, like to some regular restaurant. He was exploring different restaurant ideas as he, as he usually does with any business venture. And uh, he, yeah, at the time there was a Benihana's, which was mm-hmm. pretty established at the time. And then there was also the, some little chains here in Orlando. There was uh, one called Arigato's. And when he visited, he basically went to one of these restaurants and said, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. And what people also don't know is that Kobe wasn't the only restaurant that they started. Uh, they, they also had a Polynesian restaurant, which was a really big thing back in the 80s um, with the full Polynesian show. It was a dinner. I, I guess you would call a dinner show. So there was a lot of different concepts that they did. Um, unfortunately, my tiki, that Polynesian restaurant's not here, not no longer with us, but Kobe is. So that's what just kind of stuck and, and what they went with in terms of expanding, expanding uh, the business. All right. Uh, tell us how many Kobe steakhouses there are right now. They're all in Central Florida. Yes. So there are 12 locations total. Um, there's a seven in the Orlando uh, market and then I'm in what we call the West Coast Tampa area. All right. As you look at your grandfather and your father as entrepreneurs, what are some of the lessons that you got from observing them? I would say, I don't know whether it's the entrepreneur spirit or it's the the drive of them being immigrants here in the U.S. You know, having left a war-ridden country behind them, everything that they ever owned, everything that they ever knew or had behind them, they really ultimately came to the U.S. to pursue the American dream. And there's something about that spark, that drive that they had that you really, when you witness it, it's, it really is amazing. You know, um, the desire to really create a life, a better life here in the U.S. And so, I don't know, I would say the lessons that I've learned is is really don't take for granted for the opportunities that we have here in the U.S. and right now. And especially being a first generation here in the U.S., that's all I ever really know. I, I've visited other places in the world, but don't, don't take for granted what we have here and the opportunities and your ability to work hard and pursue what you want. Just Curious, because you're the third generation of this family. Do you identify as an entrepreneur? I don't, actually. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. And uh, I think that's okay. Um, uh, I I think a lot of people ask me that, um, whether I have the entrepreneurial spirit. And I think if I had my dad or my grandfather's entrepreneurial spirit, I wouldn't be here. I think I would have taken and done 10 different things <laughs> by now. All right. Our guest is my hun Harrington. And when we come back, we'll learn about some turning points and takeaways in her own career. Please stay with us. As a member of the Crummer community, you know that it's the people you meet at Crummer who make the greatest difference in your career. So I want to tell you about Rollins Connect. It's a networking platform that will help you stay connected to over 40,000 Rollins alumni worldwide. And it's available right now please go to rollinsconnect.rollins.edu, check it out, and if you need someone to connect to, connect to me, J.B. Adams. That's Rollins Connect, your connection to the Crummer community. 
Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm JB Adams, and our guest is Myhun Harrington, Director of Administration at Kobe Japanese Steakhouse and immediate past president of the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. Before the break, we were chatting about early business influences. Now we would like to hear more about Myhun's professional journey. So, family business, you're kind of growing up in it, you're exposed to a very entrepreneurial spirit. Um, what were your early career aspirations? You know, it was, um, I wasn't sure. Uh, and when I first grad, well, at Rollins, I was a psychology major. Okay. But when it came down to, you know, senior year, I was in the honors program. I did an honors thesis and I, I knew I didn't want to pursue psychology, like, you know, any further in terms of like master's or PhD. Um, and then at the time, you know, my parents were being the typical <laughs> Asian parent was like, why don't you become a lawyer or, uh, you know, I don't know, or, uh, yeah, that's probably what they were, that's really what they were pushing at the time. But I was all over the place. And when I really took a step back, my dad, um, it was more my mom pushing the lawyer thing, but my dad was like, you know what, I, why don't you take some time off? And really think about what 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 you want to do. Pursue something that you're just interested in. Um, and I I'm so grateful that he allowed me to have that time. So I packed up my stuff and and headed off to New York City. And uh, so when I when I graduated, um, yeah, I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. L Law school was still kind of in the back of my mind. Maybe eventually I'll come to terms with that's what I just have to do. But I went to New York. I enrolled in a culinary program just because I, I was interested. I loved the idea. I was exploring options. And I, I did that for a little bit, which led me to different opportunities. I was um, at the time working at a French bakery, waking up early in the morning. I loved that, baking croissants in the morning. And then eventually I got an internship at the Food Network. I did that for a little bit. So I jumped around during my year in New York. And then finally, I decided I needed to get a real job. And I, I interviewed at um, Hillstone, which had a management program, which I uh, was, was accepted in and um, did that for a little bit. I was in New York. I was in L.A. and Miami as a manager for Hillstone. And I was just going to say, for the sake of our listeners, yeah, many of us are familiar with Hillstone here in uh -huh. New York. Um, you didn't work at the Winter Park Hillstone. You worked at the Beverly Hills Hillstone. I did. I worked at the one. It's, um, it's actually one of their other concepts called uh, South Beverly Grill. Mm -hmm. It was a great experience. And it really made me think. I, I was like, I think, um, I think I like the restaurant hospitality industry, but more so on the restaurant management side. So that's what kind of led me back to Orlando. You know, my, my family as a restaurant. And I came back with some knowledge and some expertise in that and started just doing some marketing for them, helping out the restaurants. And I've been there since. And when would you say is the moment that you realized you were leveraging your family business experience? I mean, I would say from the very beginning, when I first applied to, I knew that, you know, if I, let me try this out. Um, I think my dad always he, they, they never pressured me to 
join the family business right away. That was never any, you know, they said, we want you to find what you want to do. And if you want to join the family business, it's here. And so when I was jumping around doing different things, um, when Hill, the Hillstone opportunity came up, I did think like, yeah, you know, if this works out, um, if this is something that I can see myself doing the business side of restaurant business, um, I'll probably, you know, head back home. So I knew from the, from the beginning. Okay. But again, curiosity out of that progression, move to New York, get in the culinary program, work at the bakery, the food network, and then eventually Hillstone. That's when you mm -hmm. left New York. Yeah. But over the course of all of that, when was the moment that you said, oh, this is where I belong? You know, that entire time when I was moving around, I don't think there was ever a moment that I felt like I belonged. I think I was um, constantly feeling like I should belong, right? Mm -hmm. like I needed to find something that I was passionate about, that I wanted to continue. Just It was just the answer. You're, you're seeking an answer mm -hmm. that like, I, I graduated already. I've been doing all these things. Where do I start? Or where, where do I belong? You know, kind of your question. And it wasn't until much later in, in my career. I think really when I came back and I decided to pursue my Crummer degree, because at that point I was like, hey, I think this is what I want to do. And I think Crummer is going to help me become better at it. So that period of, you know, uncertainty, jumping around different jobs, I think it's okay looking back now. I think at the time, it's not always a great feeling because you might look at other colleagues and think, oh, they've, they figured it out, yes. but they probably didn't. And it's okay. And you're going to find that in different parts of your life, you're going to feel that way too. And then, and it's okay. Change is okay. And uncertainty is okay. But whatever it is, just do something. Um, keep learning. Um, you know, I just knew I just needed to keep doing something until I, until I found a place that I was okay with. Love it. And I also love it when you share the takeaway without me having asked for it. Um, that's perfect. Uh, oh, wait, one more question for you. When was the moment where you felt this is where I belong? So I would say, I mean, it's more recent than, than I'd like to admit to tell you. <laughs> the truth. Um, and I think at some point in my life, when and I'm 34, I have two kids. And prior to having kids, prior to being married, I think you're always seeking, where do I belong? What should I be doing? But there was a change in me when I, I think when I started having kids, to be honest, where I felt like there was a change of responsibility. My dad's getting older. Um, and although I know he's that type that he'll never, quote unquote, retire, he'll work forever because he loves it. I think there was a chain in me where it was like, I, I was constantly needing their support or they're always helping me, parenting me. It got, I got to a point where I was like, there's this responsibility that I have now. I'm at the family business. I need to take on more. My dad needs to slow down. Um, this is where I belong. This is my purpose. This is what I need to do. And at that point, you know, I've been with, I've been with the company for years now. I've made the connections with so many employees and, you know, Kobe has become a part of me and it is part of me. It always has been, but um, understanding that 
my purpose here is, is for my family. It's for my dad. It's for the next generation. Um, and whatever, whatever that is for Kobe. Excellent. <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to transition to segment four, which is called best business advice. So my Harrington, what's your best business advice for today's professionals? I would say expect change in every aspect of your life and business. And right when you think you have it, have it down, it's going to change again. So just embrace it and carry on with what you do best. Great advice for any business professionals out there. My Hun Harrington, we're about to wrap up our time together. Is there anything else, any other message that you would like to share with the Crummer community? If you meet anyone that knows me, they know that I absolutely love Rollins. You know, I went here for undergrad, pursued my Crummer degree here. I continue to serve Rollins in so many different ways afterwards. Um, I mean, right after college, I was uh, reaching back out to see how I could reconnect back to Rollins. And I am so grateful for everything that it's given me. And that's the reason why I continue to, to give back however I can. My Hun Harrington, thank you so much for joining us on Crummer Connections and sharing your story. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Myhan Harrington to get her responses to questions from our panel made up of Crummer students and alumni. You're listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. In today's Crummer Hour, we're talking with Maihan Harrington, Director of Administration at Kobe Japanese Steakhouse and immediate past president on the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. In the first half of the show, we heard Maihan Harrington share her early career experiences, her thoughts on what to do when you don't know what to do, and how she found her way to continue the legacy of a proud family business. Now in the second half of the show, we have her here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have her respond to questions from our panel of Crummer students and alumni. Maihan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you back. I'm so looking forward to learning more from you. Um, also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37. Hi, Clara. Hi, Maihan. Happy to be here. Rachel Veluki, Area Manager 2 at Amazon, MBA 2020. Hey, thanks for having me on. And I'm your host, Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, Maihan, we're just going to jump straight into these questions. we got lots of fun stuff to talk about. Okay. So, so our first question is about your role as the Director of Administration at Kobe. So after working a couple of jobs after graduating, you came back to work at your family's restaurant. Um, so I'm curious if there was a rigorous training process or did they kind of just expect you to like hit the ground running? 
So obviously this is excluding me growing up and working as a <laughs> hostess, you know, yeah. um, every summer. Uh, but I came back and I was working under my aunt. Uh, she was uh, overseeing all the administration, yeah, pretty much what I'm doing now. Um, but, you know, a lot of my skill sets at the time was, in, you know, operations that I wanted to do something different. Uh, so I, I wanted to learn the, the business side of it. So I, mm -hmm. I really, day one was, all right, what can you do? And I was doing customer service. I was answering phones. I was dealing with customer complaints. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I was um, helping out the bookkeeping um, side of it. And then I was helping the marketing person and then just learning and helping out however I can day one. That's mm -hmm. that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, learning on the job, figuring out what I wanted to, to, you know, learn more about. And that's what led me to Crummer. You know, I realized that the business side of things, there's so much more that you can, you know, get better at. And Crummer just played along really well um, with that learning process in the corporate office. That makes so much sense. <laughs> I, I, that's kind of reassuring too that you didn't just come in knowing everything because you'd grown up around it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Our next question comes from Rachel. Yeah. So, so much of your story is people based. You're definitely in the business of people. So, as a manager, how do you apply that to your employees? How do you build that environment that really puts people first? Yeah. So, a big part of our company culture, you know, is revolved around something that we've created called the Kobe way. And, you know, and a lot of companies have this, you know, it encompasses the mission uh, values and um, purpose. Um, but one of the pages and I, I uh, talked about before, you know, we always um, have this saying that we're not in the restaurant business, we're in the people business, because it involves so many people, um, not only our employees and our customers, but vendors and people that work with us. And uh, we practice it. Um, so there's certain things that we uh, put in place. We have a five minute meeting before a shift, which is very typical at restaurants. But um, there's certain exercises that, you know, we, we prioritize in our executive meetings and talk about what should we have um, our managers focusing on. So in our Kobe way, let's say we're focusing on the people part, you know, there's other aspects of this Kobe way. Um, but there's practice that we do, for instance, like um, just gratitude for our team team members. So um, I was in a meeting, a five minute meeting the other day at our Altamont Springs location. And a common one that they like to do is everyone's in a circle for their five minute meeting. And you just turn to your left and the team member on your left, you just thank them for anything. You could thank them for being here. You can thank them for being a good friend or helping them out the other day for something. So um, it's a topic that um, the executives talk about and it's a priority to make sure that we implement systems that constantly are focused on people, gratitude, um, teamwork, things that really uplift the, um, the environment, the working environment. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, definitely people are the backbone of ev ev everything that we do, you know, restaurant industry or any other industry. So mm -hmm. that point is definitely super important to make regardless of what industry somebody's in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was like, I, I will never forget the first time I went to a Kobe <laughs> steakhouse. Like that. <laughs> it really is a unique True. experience. So, yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you had to adapt your business strategy during COVID. I know we talked a little bit about um, how difficult it is for restaurants, but what did that look like for Kobe? It was a whirlwind. I remember, <laughs> um, I remember the day that they announced, you know, the shutdown. Um, but restaurants, being essential business, could stay open, but dining rooms or the dining areas had to be closed. Mm -hmm. um, so prior to COVID, our focus was never to go, never delivery. I would say it was less than 3% of our revenue. Like we did oh, wow. some pickup, but it was never a focus because we always said we're about the experience. That is our competitive edge. Like that is what differentiates from us from every single restaurant pretty much in our area, in our market. Um, so our focus was always on the experience at the table. Um, so we, So when that happened, we had to start doing to go. Um, and um, it went from like nothing to 100% of our business. So what happened was we had our staff come in and they were cooking at the table. We were taking orders, you know, through the phone and we had to turn on to go and delivery within, I think it, we we had Uber Eats and DoorDash in, in within a week. So within, days, um, we went from, you know, this dine-in restaurant to packing teppanyaki food to go, which was not our business whatsoever. It was wild. And we didn't know how long it would last. There was a lot of fear that when is this going to end and whether or not businesses like ours will survive. Mm -hmm. uh, and thankfully, our to-go and delivery took off. And, it, and it's continuing continuing to grow today. Um, and it has served as a um, as a, another business for us. So we've seen great growth in the last couple of years because um, we didn't realize that it was a market that that uh, really worked um, hmm. because you know it, it was a I mean it was I wouldn't say it's pleasant surprise, um, but <laughs> it, it, it was, you know, it, we totally changed our business model um, in and we invested in the last couple um, years, a lot of money in building out our back kitchens because we didn't have back huge back kitchens. That was not what we did. All yeah. our kitchen was out in the dining room. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so um, in the last couple years, it's just been, um, how do we retrofit our uh, kitchens in the back to compensate for this huge growth and to go and delivery. Um, and then it's a new business for us, even for service wise. So we're constantly trying to improve it because we know it's, we haven't been doing this business in the last 37 years. It's something very new. Um, so it was a lot of change, but yeah. now that we're out of it and dine in is back you know, it just became another stream of revenue, which is which has been really great for us. Um, we've been able to, you know, add um, add more positions, um, you know, more opportunities for growth for a lot of other positions at at our, our restaurants. So we have been pleasantly surprised and very grateful that it worked out and that the community and people still love Kobe to go. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you were really intentional with the changes that you were making. So I'm I'm not surprised it worked out for you guys. <laughs> Our next question comes from Rachel. Yeah, so we definitely touched on this a little bit just now, but what are some of the greatest challenges that are facing the restaurant hospitality industries today? So 
supply chain is a big one. Um, and the cost of everything, you know, uh, restaurant, you know, business is not a high margin business. You do, you make a little bit of profit every day, right? Um, and you have to do it 365 days a year and you just keep chugging along. And, and um, so, with the rising prices, it's, it's it's very difficult for all restaurants right now to operate and not pass all that uh, that cost to the customers. You know, so it's it's really difficult. I would say supply chain, um, the rise in the cost of goods, and even even with the rising prices, you know, we can't get certain things sometimes. Like half the things are out of stock half the time. So that managing that has become very difficult. And also the workforce. Um, there's a labor shortage in the hospitality business, especially even being in Orlando where we're a hospitality hub. And that's because people are leaving our industry. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that I think is COVID. You know, um, if you had the option of, all right, let me show up every day in this very busy um, restaurant and deal with all these restrictions and safety precautions, or I could find a job that is a little bit more isolated, safer in, in their mindset. Um, you know, it's, it's not a industry that people are wanting to join, join, uh, right now because probably because of, you know, our current situation with the pandemic. Um, so labor shortage is a really, really difficult thing for us right now for the restaurant industry as a whole, you know, so not just us. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. All right, our next question is about your backstory and it comes from Rachel. So what kind of lessons from Crummer have you carried with you into your work? Oh, gosh, that's tough too, because I feel like it was so long ago. So to be <laughs> honest, but I'll never forget like the difficulties, the challenges that I went through with my group you know, in my cohort. Ooh. So, you know, you're assigned to a group and the things that I remember, you know, and that I learned from were, you know, the disagreements we had, um, mm -hmm. and how to deal with that. And, um, and even today, you know, and I remember back then I, I get, I got so upset over, you know, some assignment and, uh, gotten, you know, was mad at a teammate. And, um, in the end of the day, it was like, does this matter? You know, what really matters? Like, does this not only matter to me or does that, um, or does that really matter for, why does it not matter for the other teammates? So I learned a lot about, um, working, <laughs> working with, um, other teammates on projects, uh, like that under, under time constraints and, um, certain expectations. So, mm -hmm. you know, conflict resolution and f dealing with difficult conversations with, um, people is something that you have to practice over and over again and and you'll get better at it you know it never gets easier you just kind of get a little better at it um and i still do that today you know so that's one thing that i still remember <laughs> for sure so claire and i were on the same team at Crumbling. oh um, yep <laughs> about this last night actually that you know just having our team and how lucky we were uh, with our team so having to navigate through a lot of those difficult conversations that we hadn't mm -hmm. really had experience doing before. Um, yeah. so it's good to hear it's a universal issue and not just, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, and you know, when I look back, I was like, I think they intentionally did this because in business, like, you know, in management, especially, you know, you have to ha 
you have to have tough conversations. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that that's, you know, that obviously wasn't like the curriculum, but it's it's still a huge takeaway. I think everyone that goes through the program has like certain experiences with their team that are new and you have to yep. deal with that. And it's mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes exciting, sometimes troubling, but you know, we get through it yeah. <laughs> and we learn. <laughs> it's a good lesson. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Kyle. Yeah, Mayhan, so after New York, uh, you mentioned that you worked for the Hillstone brand in Beverly Hills, California. Um, and those of us who have eaten at Hillstone in Winter Park, you know, we certainly noticed that they provide a very consistent and high quality experience for their customers. Um, can you tell us what you learned from the experience of working for that brand and how they maintain consistency throughout the experience? Mm-hmm. Um, they were very intentional about who they, they hired, you know, um, so it came back from like someone who can, would be a good fit to their very specific culture. Um, and then once you got there, um, they had a procedure and specification for almost everything. And I think this is probably true for a lot of very, um, like upscale high end brands. Um, there's a lot of, you know, they're very specific about certain things, how they do things, how they, um, who they hire, the image that they're trying to portray. So that, that um, environment that they're trying to create, it's, it's all these little things that they, um, the details. So I remember, you know, uh, I was a restaurant operations manager and I was responsible for buying all the silverware and the plates and like the napkins <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't like they went to a wholesale place and did it. It was their champagne glass that you had to order from a artesian, you know, artist in California. Oh, wow. And oh, yeah, like their candles was a specific type of candle. Their votas were a certain specific type. Um, all the, you know, what you wore, your suits had to be a certain way and they had specifications for all that. Um, and the way even you roll the napkins. It ha and when you put it down, it has to be facing a certain way. And when you sub, you don't substitute for almost anything. Um, mm -hmm. So, and even the light bulbs. So, um, one thing wow. about <laughs> yeah. yeah, one thing about the um, restaurant was all the artwork in there is like a personal from a personal collection of the owner of Hillstone, um, and he. Uh, it, you know, as you can imagine, it's not just like some random, you know, decorator that comes in and just puts something together. It was intentionally put there and the lighting and everything had to suit it perfectly. So um, those little details that people don't recognize, that's what makes the experience. And I learned a lot about um, those little details. Um, it was very intense experience. The training program was very intense. Um, and I think this is probably true for, again, like I said, a lot of high-end brands. So their product um, might seem pretty simple, you know, to the client, but you don't realize what goes on in the back to create that, that experience. Um, they were very intentional about certain things. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, I, I think that's what it is. And even the architecture um, the, uh, and the location of all their restaurants very intentional about the look, feel, and um, what that would, uh, you know, convey in their brand. You're listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Maihan Harrington, and we'll continue our conversation with her in just a moment. Stay with us.
Hi, my name is Brandon Anderson, an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergraduate was a complete immersive experience. When I was searching for the next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best option for me. Crummer has helped me to gain the aptitude and grow as a leader, which have both been essential in reaching my potential. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer alum Maihan Harrington, Director of Administration at Kobe Japanese Steakhouse. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Maihan's career. All right, so we're going to play a little game, Maihan. We're going to play Crummer Insider Free Association. Okay. <laughs> so the way the way this works is I'm going to give you a series of prompts, and then I'm just going to invite you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, and it's all about Crummer. So okay. are you ready to play? Yes. <laughs> all right. I started my Crummer education in the year. I think 2014. Okay. <laughs> I, I finished <laughs> classes and graduated in the year. 2015. All right. Um, my cohort was known for being... Ichiban. That's what we called ourselves. <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool. Um, for our international study we went to... Argentina, Buenos Aires. Ooh. My favorite course was... Strategy. Ron, uh, Dr. Ron Piccolo. Uh, my favorite professor was... Doctor, I, I like Dr. Piccolo. <laughs> it was a really good class. <laughs> the course and professor go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then during my time at Crummer, my greatest time management lesson was... Oh, man. Make sure to plan for meals. Oh, gosh. That's important. I was a PMBA, and um, yeah, if you don't plan for dinner and your snacks during class, it was just like out the window. So um, that <laughs> really helped everyone's productivity, especially with the team, and um, planning that out or else you know, you're grumpy and not listening half the time. <laughs> oh my God, that's huge. It's like when I work through lunch and I'm like, I regret everything. <laughs> Why did I do this? <laughs> Why am I at class? Why am I so hungry? <laughs> All right, well, congratulations. You won the game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing. Um, I always just love hearing those answers because everyone has like some things that are similar, but everyone has a slightly different experience and it's always so much fun to hear it. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna move on to questions about family business. Okay, and so the first one's from me. I want to know what's unique about working for a family business as compared to more of a corporate experience. Um, I think for a family business, there's a lot of finding the right seat for the right per or putting the right person in the right seat, um, as opposed to a corporate job. You know, there's that job description. And if you don't fit, then, you know, you don't get hired. But family business is a little different, obviously. Um, we have to really figure out what that person's talents are and what they're good at, what they can do, what their interests are, if they're interested in the, in the business. And that is um, one thing that our family stressed was no one's expecting us to come back and work for the business. If you want to, mm. it's there. And we'll find something for, to, for you to do, and you need to learn the business from bottom up and put in your time. So, uh, so yeah, I would say that's, that's the biggest difference, you know, um, making sure that you find the right seat for, for that specific person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
next up, Rachel. So what are some of the challenges that you face working within a family business? One of the challenges would be the fact that, you know, the business, obviously you make mistakes, you get in arguments and disagreements, um, and you still have to show up for Thanksgiving <laughs> and try not to talk about uh, work. And, it, you know, on one hand, it's great because you get to spend time, valuable time learning from your family members who have so much um, to offer and to teach. And on the other hand, it's um, they're also your boss, uh, which can be an interesting dynamic, but uh, we make it work. It works really well. Um, you know, we've we've had some hiccups and not hiccups, but, you know, challenges of, you know, going to Thanksgiving and kind of being mad <laughs> just they yelled at you. Uh, but balancing that is um, is the key. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when you work with people that you're close to, regardless of the business, that can be a challenge. So mm -hmm. I can only imagine when it's family. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next question comes from Kyle. Yeah, my hon. So my, my first thought when it comes to working within a family business that you automatically have this built in network of mentors uh, to help guide you um, through the whole process and everything. Do you do you consult any familial resources when it comes to making decisions? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I worked under my aunt for years. So when we get into a, something I just don't know or um, I'm stuck on, um, she's always there. You know, uh, she co still comes in for certain meetings, maybe once a quarter, once once a month and call her any time where I'm like, I don't understand, you know, uh, why we're doing it this way. And she would obviously know. Um, and then my dad's a big um my, you know, number one mentor in terms of leadership. And um, so I, I always, always consult him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I mean, it's always important to ask questions. And I mean, those, if you are afraid to ask questions to like, a you know, a new boss or a stranger, I feel like that can mm -hmm. be very intimidating. But I would think personally that if I had a family member, it would be easier to you know, fall back on those people when it comes to asking questions and all that. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I think what we try to do is try to be more independent, you know, so I, I, I think I went through that a lot, you know, um, early on when I was taking on more of a management role, um, I, you know, they're always there. So you're, you're relying on like, well, what do I do about this decision? And after a while, like, you have to get to a point where like, I, either decision a, you make will be okay, but you need to make that decision. And yeah. um, so there's a lot of coaching to to get to that point where it's a little bit more independent and um, and not having to rely on that as much. Um, and so they serve as more of a like a you know consulting us on on certain things rather than relying on them to make sure that we're not screwing it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like kind of pushing you out the nest a little bit. That's that's mm -hmm. good. That's good. All right. The next question comes from Rachel. Yes. So as a member of a multi-generational family business, do you ever feel a sense of pressure to live up to expectations? And if so, how do you go about managing that? Yeah, I, there's definitely always a sense of pressure, especially I think more so with um, 
all the employees and, and the staff because they they look up to you in the sense that like, well, this is your family business and you should already know how to run this place. Um, so there's a lot of pressure there. You know, the family always has your back and they're always there. Uh, but there's an expectation of when you take on a certain role that you, you do a good job and you do it right and that you uh, deserve that position. So there's a lot of pressure in that sense. Um, but um, in terms of managing it, it's uh, making sure that you're meeting everyone's expectations and just doing a good job, showing up, working hard. Um, and, you know, it, it helps when you are listening to everyone's concerns and, 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 and creating that relationship with them so that they, they trust you um, and, and that you're not given this position just because you're a family, but also because um, you're the right person for that position. For sure. I, mean, I feel like we, we probably all feel a sense of pressure with people who report to us having to make those right choices, but I can only imagine what that's like when it's your family's business that you're making those decisions for. Yeah, it's definitely a different level of pressure at, at, for a family restaurant because um, you really, really don't want to mess up um, as opposed to at a different company. Maybe it's like, well, if you mess up, then, you know, maybe you just get fired and you just leave and you never think about it again. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but yeah, there's definitely a totally different pressure for, uh, for a family restaurant because it's so near and dear to, I mean, to my heart, you know, um, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question is from Kyle. Yeah. So, so in your Crummer Connections interview, and even in, through this interview, your pride in Kobe Japanese Steakhouse really shines. Um, and you talked about it in the context of uh, figuring out where you belong. Um, you also said that getting involved in service provides meaning for you. Um, do you feel it would be harder for you to get involved in service if you had a regular job that you didn't? enjoy? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, especially because uh, at Kobe, we've been in the Orlando, Tampa area, I mean, in Orlando for almost 37 years. Um, and we feel like a big part of the community, Orlando community, you know, we've mm -hmm. employed so many people. We I love my favorite thing is to read those um, comments from our customers who are saying that, you know, I've been going here for years, you know, and um, my kids birthday since, you know, they're they're graduating and we've been going since, you know, they were five and they've Aww. gone every year. Um, we have generations of employees where every one of their kids worked at Kobe there um, while they were studying um, in college. So they're, you know, and their mom works at Kobe. So there's, there's just this sense of Kobe in the Orlando community. You know, I, I think in different phases of your, your life, you know, you find, you might find it more relevant um, to do it. You know, I totally understand, you know, um, when I was really like super busy and running around trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, you know, you might not have that extra time or that mental space to, to say, okay, let me go do some something in the community and, and serve in a different capacity. But um, but if you always have in the back of your mind and you have the capacity to give, I think it'll, you'll come around to it. And once you get into it, there's um, there's really no turning back. You know, you figure <laughs> out that that's you know it's great and it, it's um, you know it's it's what it's all about. 
That's great. That's a super response. Awesome. All right. We're going to move on to talk about your personal and professional development. And the first question in this section comes from Rachel. So are there any like books or podcasts that you use to continue your personal and professional development that you would recommend? So um, my two favorite authors, one is Adam Grant. I, th I believe he's an organizational psychologist and applies a lot of his work in business. And I first read his book, Give and Take. And, you know, and especially being someone who has a psychology background and now in business, it just, I was like, this is awesome. Like this is, when you hear sometimes about business, it's like, oh, it's so transactional. But the way he talks about um, the more you give and put people first, it's, it is going to turn profits in the long run. And that's, uh, that's what you need to be focused on. So I absolutely love his books and his work. He has podcasts and uh, videos out there. And then um, Simon Sinek is also one. Mm -hmm. I just finished on The Infinite Game, which really just reminds me that in business, especially with my family business, it's ongoing. You know, there's always issues, there's always challenges, but if you step up and you find solutions and you do the right things, you know, it's, it's constant and you have to continue to change. Um, and I, I think that you, you could apply that personally, you could apply that to your business. Um, and I, I, the book was great. Um, and then one other book that I really loved, uh, was the one thing, which is Gary W. Keller. He's the uh, founder of Keller Williams. And I, I think he really breaks it down on in terms of things that I, I can do to, you know, be a better, uh, be a better leader. Um, hopefully, you know, become that executive that I want to be. Um, so I, I really enjoyed his book and his content as well. I will definitely have to check some of those out. Thank you. Um, so Unfortunately, we do have to bring the Q&A to a close. So I always like to end on this final question. Um, what's your closing message? What would you like to say to the Kremer community? I would say, you know, uh, someone who uh, loves Rollins, continue to give back to your community, but also don't forget about Rollins. There's so much that Rollins has uh, does for their students and, and the community. And I, I hope that you can always find ways to come back and reconnect because it's a very special place. That is perfect. <laughs> All right. With that, I want to say, my hon Harrington, thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour. This has been incredibly insightful. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, it was so much fun. Thank you. And I would also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business, Kyle Sawyer and Rachel Veluki. Thanks for having us. This was great. Thanks. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now's a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, innovative, responsible business leader. To learn more about the programs and the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. 
If you like this show, please follow us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show was created by J.B. Adams, executive produced by Gerard Mitchell, and hosted by Clara Mount. Our showrunner is Kyle Sawyer with production assistance by Rachel O'Brien and audio design by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Mike Brown and Loveland Finley and Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. Until next time, Fiat Lux.